Ever catch yourself eating the same flavorless dinner three days in a row? Dreaming of something better? Well, HelloFresh is your guilt-free dream come true, baby. It's me, Kiki Palmer. Let's wake up those taste buds with hot, juicy pecan-crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Mm. Hello Fresh. Stop dreaming of all the delicious possibilities and dig in at HelloFresh.com. Let's get this dinner party started. Hey, it's Ryan Reynolds, and I'm here with Keith, co-star of my upcoming film, If, only in theaters May 17th. Do you want to tell people the big news? All right, I'll do it. Sign up now and you'll get unlimited for $15 a month in six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan on us. Mintmobile.com slash switch. Upfront payment of $45 equivalent to $15 per month. Unlimited over 40 gigabytes per month. Face lower speeds. Videos at 480p. Active Mint customers by 531.24 get six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan. Auto renews after six months. Offer ends May 31st, 2024. Separate Paramount Plus registration required. Terms and conditions apply if rated PG. Hello and welcome to Second Opinion with me, Dr. Christian. This is the weekly podcast that's always far easier to get than an actual doctor's appointment. However, you regular listeners will know I am bound to warn you that if you feel unwell during the course of this podcast, then please, please don't keep on listening. Contact a doctor either through NHS 111 Helpline, consulting your GP or visiting your local hospital. Right. That's the legally bit done, isn't it? That keeps the lawyers happy. Um... I want to, I'm proud to introduce my lovely podcast wife, Alex Stanger, who who completes me, it says here. Oh my gosh. Oh, I know, isn't that sweet? So, I didn't write that, by I, the way. I, do you know what I was about to say? You didn't, I didn't write, write that. But I think that's heartwarming, and if I was capable of such warmth and love, then I would have written that. <laughs> but I have a cold, icy heart. Yeah. And very important, Alex, how are you, by the way? I'm fine, love. I'm absolutely fine. Are you? The world's good, yeah. Controversial, that top line of your introduction, though. So Which we bit? can't we can't get an NHS a doctor's appointment. And well, that's, have no. you ever tried? Yeah, I have. It's fine if it's one of my kids. I normally manage to get them through, but if it's me, it's like... Uh, it's hard work, isn't yeah, it? Yeah, it's really hard It's work. hard work, so yeah. I, I tell not a lie. Mm-hmm. But I want to introduce uh, my special guest this week, um, because the subject we're talking about is cannabis um, and CBD and all that sort of thing. And so I've asked in a man from Transform Drugs Policy Organisation, who I've met several times in Parliament and various other places on various policy panels. It's Steve Rolls. Steve, how are you? Very good, thanks. There's an irony in your name, Rolls, isn't there? Yes. Uh, uh, when, I, when I was in Jamaica and they, I, I told them my name, they, they all thought that was hilarious. Steve Rolls that, what? That, sh- that, should be my, that should be my brand of cannabis once we've got it legalised. Uh... I think it's good. Um, <laughs> Steve, thanks. Steve, tell us a little bit about what you do. I mean, I sort of know, but I don't really know the full depth of what you do. Tell me a bit more. Uh, well, I work for an organisation called Transform Drug Policy Foundation, and we are a, uh, we're a charity and and we do policy and advocacy work around drug policy with a specific focus on drug policy reform and within that a specific focus on uh, critiquing the war on drugs, the kind of criminal justice punitive approach to drugs that we have in this country and in fact around the world and looking at alternatives including ending the criminalisation of people who use drugs and looking at uh, legalisation and regulation of currently illegal drug markets. And we come at it from a very kind of evidence-based public health uh, viewpoint. And we've been doing that for over 20 years now. And things seem to be moving in a positive direction. What got you into that in the first place? Is there a personal story? Was there? Not particularly. I kind of stumbled into it. Uh, I was, uh, you know, I'd, I'd graduated uh, and was working in Oxfam on development work. And this organisation set up by a, a, a man called Danny Kushlik, who's uh, still with Transform, is about to leave, actually. Um, but 
he set it up to campaign for better drug policies and more just and effective drug policies. And, uh, you know, I was in Bristol at the time and I, and I kind of bumbled into it. And, and 20 years later, and I'm, I'm still doing it. And it's been quite a, quite a journey. But things seem to be moving now. The last five, seven years, uh, we've moved from kind of just doing advocacy and having the argument to actually working with policymakers in designing um, new, new policies. And things are moving both in the UK and around the world, particularly with, with cannabis, actually. Alex, what are your thoughts on all this? Because well, as a I, mum, does it make I, you uncomfortable? Or? No. You no? know what my thoughts are about this, because we've talked should, about yeah. drugs quite a few times on um, our podcast. We've had various we people in before and um, very, uh, very interesting discussions. I think my main thing, which I've said before, which is interesting going to something you just said, is that... Um, it didn't feel like, say, five years ago that people were having the conversation. And I feel that we are moving on and people are having a much more open conversation about drug policy. Mm-hmm. Are you finding that people in government are willing to have a much more open conversation with you? I mean, where doors might have been shut once, are they opening up now? Yes, they, they definitely are. I mean, we've seen uh, a shift, a clear shift in the public mood in terms of the, the tone of media debate, parliamentary debate, public debate more broadly. Um, people seem, even though, even if they're not sort of on side with, say, legalising drugs or decriminalisation, at least talking about those things is has been sort of normalised, and they're not seen as sort of extreme viewpoints anymore. They're very much mainstream points of view, and you're seeing quite sort of august institutions like the Royal Society for Public Health and the Royal College of Physicians advocating for decriminalisation of, of uh, people who use drugs, and you're seeing, you know. Things like the British Medical Journal and the Lancet, some of the leading medical journals in the world, advocating for uh, decriminalisation and, in fact, legalisation regulation. So things have definitely moved. And you can see that in public opinion polling. You can see that in the quality debate in Parliament. Um, and I hope Transform and, and you know, our fellow travellers in, in, in civil society have helped make that happen. And one of the things we've done is, is uh, our Anyone's Child campaign, which has brought not just the kind of dry policy briefings that Transform has done historically, but we've actually brought families who have been impacted by the war on drugs, people who've lost children or have seen their partners go to jail, to tell their stories and try and give the drug policy reform narrative a bit more of a human face. And that's been very effective at reaching out to the tabloids and a kind of and a sort of wider public audience where you can engage people at more of an emotional level rather than just, you know, bar charts and statistics. So... That certainly helped. And you can see that with the, the uh, cannabis reforms as well. It was, it was the human stories of these uh, children with epilepsy who weren't being able to get access to um, cannabis-based medicines that actually pushed it over the line last year in terms of getting the law changed. I mean, that, those, just to say, that wasn't anything to do with transform, but it shows the power of a human narrative in terms of leveraging political change. Mm. And it definitely the, the sound of the media around those two cases, the way it was written up in mm. some papers particularly... It was much more sympathetic than it, I suppose it had been possibly five years ago or a bit further back in time. I think that the, the media's maybe glare on it or take on it has changed slightly. And I think those two cases that you yeah, I mean, the, Alfie Dingley were, and, and and Billy Caldwell. Yeah. I mean, you had you had clearly sick children, yeah. and and it was their mothers were advocating for them, and it was just it was very very difficult to mm-hmm. argue with because these were children who were clearly benefiting from these cannabis based medicines, and then were being denied access to them and be, becoming ill as a result. And it's almost impossible 
to argue with that for, for anybody. And, um, you know, and it, it, it also challenges the stereotypes. It, these weren't sort of like dreadlocked stoners just who wanted access to some really strong bud. You know, th- this was sick children who needed their medicine. And at that point, you know, it kind of becomes unarguable. There's a tricky, there seems to be this sort of difficulty in, in the minds of a lot of people in separating or actually seeing similarity in prescription medicines and drugs, as, as they say, you know. Uh, and actually, I think to most of us, they're all the same thing. It's just the quality, the way that they're produced, the way that they're, you know how much you're getting and what you're getting seems to be the main difference, actually. And David Nutt, we had on a podcast earlier, you know, was talking about how there's probably a lot of potential benefits in a lot of the currently illegal substances that are so hard to to research that we may be missing out on you know potentially really useful treatments and I think cannabis is a is a really good example yeah, of that. I mean David Nutt's often said it's easier for him to research heroin than it is for him to research cannabis. Um, because heroin is a is a, a, a uses a medical drug and it's much more accessible. But yeah, it's always amazing to me. You get, I, I, uh, a friend of mine's an anaesthetist, and he showed me. He opened up the sort of the the locked cabinet in in yep. uh, full of goodies in his uh, operating theatre. I was amazed what was in there. There was there was heroin, there was cocaine, there was ketamine, there was amphetamines. There was all kinds of things in there. And of course, you know, these drugs. Of course, they're risky. Um, but in used in a medical context, they're relatively safe. Um, used in a non-medical context, a, a whole, a whole, you know, they're associated with different behaviours and, and different risks. But people need to get their head around these things. A, a lot of the risks to do with any particular drug is it's how you use it. They're not in necessarily intrinsically risky. And as Can- I would say, it's the dose that makes the poison, which is a very useful phrase and I think people really struggle to understand that so you know it's the amount of something that you're taking so water you'd say is a non-toxic substance have enough of it it'll kill you you know, so it's the dose, it's the amount of yeah, something. Fentanyl is a, you know, fentanyl is responsible for twenty four thousand deaths in in the US last year, but it's also an incredibly useful uh, anaesthetic drug. You know, if you use it as a patch or you use anaesthetist using it controlled properly, even though it's incredibly potent at sort of nanogram level. Um, you used responsibly, it's it's very useful, mm. but it's also incredibly dangerous used, you know, outside of those situations. Can I just ask where we are? Um, just um, if you could remind us where we are vis-a-vis um, the cannabis laws in this country at this moment in time. So we can have medical cannabis, is that correct? Yes, but there are some caveats around that. Right. Um, there are two drugs, there are two cannabis-based medicines that are um, approved by the medical health health regulatory agency and uh, which is uh, Sativex which is a uh, a whole plant extract that contains THC and CBD the two kind of key active ingredients in cannabis um, that's been available for some time about eight years I think I mean mm-hmm. it went through all the re- regulatory hurdles and did all the trials and research and that's available on private prescription in the UK and from the NHS in Wales I believe um, and just recently, there's another cannabis-based medicine called Epidiolex, produced by the same company, which is a CBD-based uh, cannabis extract, which has just, I think, last week actually just been approved by the European Medicines Agency. So it's available now for prescription in uh, in the UK. But I can walk down my high street and I can go into a pharmacy and get some CBD oil or something. Is right. What is that? So, um, it, yeah, it, it, unfortunately, there's <laughs> no there's no easy way to get through. It's a difficult question. No, no, it's quite, it's quite messy, quite complicated. That's the so question. Just, what is just, it? Is just, point? Just, on, just on cannabis-based products more broadly, the law did change last year right. so that, in theory, cannabis-based products can be prescribed. Um, those two products I just mentioned are the only two that can be prescribed um easily 
Uh, you can get, uh, I believe they're called specials. Is that right? You can you can get a specials prescription um, from a specialist doctor for other cannabis-based products, but that comes. There's a much higher bar in terms of prescribing. It's much more difficult to prescribe. So you can get access to. Um, standardized herbal herbal cannabis products like Bedrocan now, but it has to be via private prescription. Very, very little has actually yet. Very few described. people actually have access to mm. that. We're talking a few hundred people at the most. Are we talking about people that have got the money to pay for it? Yes, and it will be it will be um, expensive. You have to go to a private doctor and you have to get a private prescription. We're talking a lot of money. It will be, it will be expensive. Mm. Um, CBD oper- operates in a slightly different place. Um, it is currently sold uh the, the sort of stuff you can get in holland and barrett and that kind of place is sold as a food supplement um it's sort of operating in a bit of a legal sort of limbo at the moment because the, the medical health regulatory agency said it is a medicine it does have medical properties but they are in the process of deciding how it's going to be properly regulated so at the moment you can buy a whole array of cbd products cbd oil cbd food cbd Hummus. Dog shampoo, can CBD dog, dog shampoo. This is where I really want to go. <laughs> with we, we can we can do other things, sort of... but but they're, they're they're currently because CBD is not um a it's not covered by the Misuse of Drugs Act. It's not currently covered by the Medicines Act. I don't think um it's it's currently basically sold as a food supplement. Right. Um, and I, I I would argue it's not particularly or adequately regulated at the moment. So that, and there are some issues about that. Maybe we can come back to. Okay, so it's a, a bit of a, a free for all because it's, they it, haven't decided what they're doing. Yes, it's, we're kind of in a legal. Grade. It's a bit of it's in limbo at the moment, and hopefully that'll be resolved relatively soon in a, in a positive way. It's like a lot of these things where do you remember you used to be able to buy there was soap on a rope, remember that, and then there was Pope on a rope that was quite funny, and then there was like hemp soap on a hempy rope. I've mm. seen that. In fact, I think I got some for Christmas once. My mother, I was so dismayed. Dope sorry, on the rope. sorry, Mum, but dope on a rope, dope, dope, good. dope on a rope. Very was, good. It was something like that. It was I don't know. <laughs> And then my mother this year gives me um, hemp cooking oil, which I don't know what her obsession is with it, but it's really nice, actually, I have to say. That's not a promotion of it, but, you know, it was just hemp nutty. oil. It was nutty. It was mm. really good. On a salad, it's particularly just tasty. Good, yeah. good omega-7. Full of omega-what's-its. Well, omega you know, this, that and the others. But I, I've seen sort of explode in front of us this this profusion of... of Alternative products, see anything with CBD in or the word hemp in or, or, or something, you know, and I've seen, you know, CBD foot pads and, as you said, dog shampoo. And, and this worries me because you saw it with vaping a bit. And I think, you know, vaping came along. And first of all, my whole profession went, oh, we don't like this. It's new and we don't understand it. Therefore, we don't like it. You know, and that was very distressing because it was a very powerful tool for getting people off smoking. Um as a harm reduction tool. And I worry that the same thing is going to happen. You know, CBD will come along, whatever the evidence might say, and that's the jury's still out. There's small amounts of evidence dribbling in, but not huge amounts. We should make that clear, I think. Um, But this whole profusion of Holland and Barrett and other popular health food shop products, and I just worry that that's really going to sort of dilute and obfuscate the market. That was a Bloody good, good words. Word. I know. Obviously, syllables. I can't even spell it. But <laughs> but you know what I mean. This whole sort of profusion of crap that's coming onto the market, and I think that's that's really damaging. Can I just say, as a caveat, though, mm. you normally say that things that aren't in a medical 
you're looking at me as if I'm about to I'm really walk into <laughs> into I'm, I'm your it. Christian wrath. You hate homeopathy. You do not like various I, I, different... I, let me put a caveat. I don't like unevidence-based things being right. flogged to the vulnerable. Okay. All right. Okay. Carry on, though. Carry no, that on. Was, that was where I was going, because normally if I bring in something like, I've got these lovely pastels, they're meant to make me calm, you look at me as if I've got two heads and I'm actually just you will never talk to me again so can I just put that as a caveat when we talk about these things for CBD I mean you don't think there's evidence well not for foot detox foot pads or doggy shampoo well, no, I mean, depends the, what they're claiming yeah but, I mean you know. this is the, the part part of the problem with CBD at the moment is that there's this there's this um, sort of exploding area of sort of uh, proper clinical research yeah. looking at it, potential for all kinds of things whether it's to help you sleep or for anxiety or for schizophrenia or all, all kinds of treatment of addiction all kinds of things um, which is it's 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 there's there's the big like you say Christian there's beginning some evidence but it, it, it's it's currently quite thin um some of it's quite compelling it points to it's very promising but it's, it's quite thin and then you've got this profusion of um you know wellness whatever that means products um and, and that's the cbd infused hummus and the dog shampoo and the you know hummus, elbow hummus. rub and wh- whatever other nonsense it is. Uh, which is yeah i think you're right it's, it's about a lot of it feels quite exploitative there's really pitifully little but basically zero evidence that these products are going to do anything much and it feels like that what they're doing is they're kind of piggybacking on the legitimate research in a way that is is unhelpful for the consumers but it's also unhelpful for the research i think it kind of demeans some of the legitimate research when people are you know you just put a couple of drops of cbd oil in some hummus and then charge three times as much for it you'd actually just being ripped off, basically. Um, I don't. They're probably not going to harm you. Apart, they might harm your wallet, but they're not going to. CBD seems to be know, remarkably that, safe. When I talk about this, and that's that's, and I talk a lot about the sort of the mistrust of science, and, and vaccines are a good one. Why mm. are we suddenly all turning against vaccines mm. in, in in droves? And I and, and people go, but look, what's the harm in a bit of homeopathy or a bit of CBD hummus? And I and you know, I always go, well, actually, there is a lot of harm when we start turning towards magic instead of science. A huge amount of harm comes in. You only have to look at, you know, Tabo Mbeki, South Africa, where he said to his people, essentially, look, for those of you with HIV, don't trust Western medicine. You don't need your antiretrovirals. You just need some lemon oil and and carrot juice. And and so, you know, 100,000 people stopped taking their antiretrovirals and 100,000 people died of HIV. And that, to me, you've got me on a rant, but that, to me, is why it matters. See, because that's yeah. what happens. And, uh, yeah, I mean, uh, the, the, the CBD seems to be relatively benign um, and, and, and safe. As and so you can think, okay. I, so I agree with you, Christian. It, it, it's people. I, sh- I they shouldn't worry about consuming CBD infused whatever it is, hummus or whatever. But but if the the, the risks come if it's interfering with their. Um, Med, other medications they're taking are, are they abandoning they're, especially if it's for non-trivial thing I mean people self-medicate all the time you can buy aspirin in the corner shop um, but if you're if, particularly if it's for something non-trivial uh, if they're abandoning conventional medicines or they're they're ignoring the advice of their doctors to take something that's being it's effectively snake oil it's been sold to them who's by someone who isn't medically trained or qualified to give them advice that is um, that that's a real concern 
For me, that wasn't an option. I never really was a salad guy. That's just not who I am. But Noom worked for me. Get your personalized plan today at Noom.com. Real Noom user compensated to provide their story. In four weeks, the typical Noom user can expect to lose one to two pounds per week. Individual results may vary. Life is full of what ifs. Some awesome. Like what if AI could fold your laundry? And some, well, less awesome. Like what if you have unexpected medical costs? United Healthcare can help get you covered with Health Protector Guard fixed indemnity insurance plans. They supplement your primary plan to help you manage out of pocket costs. No deductibles, no enrollment periods, and especially no more what ifs. Visit uh1.com to find the Health Protector Guard plan for you. Imagine the softest sheets you've ever felt. Now imagine them getting even softer over time. That's what you'll feel with Bowl and Branch's organic cotton sheets. In a recent customer survey, 96% replied that Bowl and Branch sheets get softer with every wash. Start getting your best night's sleep in these sheets that get softer and softer for years to come. Try their sheets with a 30-night guarantee. Plus, get 15% off your first order at bowlandbranch.com. Code BUTTERY. Exclusions apply. See site for details. What if it's used in conjunction with, um, if you had cancer and you were having your chemotherapy and you thought this might help me, what would you say then? Would you think that well, you still... Okay, I'd I have to give my non, I'm not a doctor caveat yeah, here. Yeah. Um, you know, it seems to be relatively safe, although there is some suggestion that CBD may interfere with the way you metabolise certain drugs in in your liver. So it may, there may be contraindications with some the problem is prescribed drugs. But we Right, we don't know. It, it's probably not a particularly big risk, but it, often with these things, the risks will only emerge later on. So we, we need to tread a little bit carefully. I think. Yeah. And I suppose what you're also saying, reading between the lines, that it does kind of muddy the argument. We've just spent 10 minutes talking about this, when really we are wanting to talk to you about policy and about what is actually happening as far as cannabis, medical cannabis is concerned within this country. Because well, CBD, I, is CBD medical cannabis? It, it kind of is. See, it's I, a part I, of it. This is actually a very important... People talk about medical cannabis as if it's just a thing you can get in a in a bag. Actually, medical cannabis, it, you know, there, there are very, there's a whole range of different types of cannabis plant. There's, mm. there, the cannabis contains, I think, 140 different cannabinoids. Um, then then from this array of plants and uh, that have all these different proportions of all these different active ingredients, there are thousands of different products, whether it's oils or herbal products or extracts or pharmaceutical products or combination products or edibles. Blah, blah, blah. There's, there's, so, and all of those may be useful or may not be useful for treating thousands of different medical conditions. So it's actually very confusing. And when we talk about medical cannabis, we need to be clear what we're talking about. Are we talking about something someone's grown in their garden or are we talking about a, a licensed pharmaceutical product? Um, and, and there's a, and because the, that lack of clarity uh, when people talk about medical cannabis means that often um, I think there's just a general lack of poor understanding about what, what the implications mm. of medical cannabis are. And the two are. things that really sort of grate with me, first of all, is where policy and you know ridiculous government decisions get in the way of harm reduction. That grates with me a lot and that currently happens with our current drug laws. There's no doubt that they are harming, not reducing harm, I would argue. Um, and secondly, where it gets in the way of research. And that's, 
is really intensely frustrating. As you say, there are, there are masses of things in cannabis in general that, you know, that may have benefit, but it's just been so hard <clears> until <throat> now to research them. Um, and, and, and Professor Nutt spoke a little bit about that. And you've just mentioned, you know, it's easier to, to research heroin than it is to research cannabis. That's ridiculous. You know, we need to do proper good research to produce decent evidence where we, someone like me, who's interviewed, can go, actually, yes, there is proven benefit for that. And no, I've never said proven. Proven. Oh, my God, it really I know. <laughs> you've, you've changed. <laughs> I've so changed. I'm, I'm growing up. I'm walking through this door today. <laughs> but, you know, where there's actually proven evidence for something and where we can say, no, really, it's been thoroughly researched and there just isn't any evidence for your detoxing Gwyneth Paltrow foot well, But that, 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 that is part of the problem with medical cannabis in the UK at the moment is that the historical legacy of the war on drugs and the, and the politics around cannabis has meant that the, the research is years, decades behind where it should be. So you've now got a product that is, uh, you've now got cannabis has been uh, rescheduled and the government has said, yes, it's okay to, to, to use this as a, as a medicine. But the research is lagging behind the requirements of the regulatory bodies that they would normally require for licensing a medicine because you need to have, you know, vigorous uh, and, and, and robust clinical evidence to license a medicine for doctors to prescribe. Right. But because of the historical legacy, a lot of that research isn't there yet. So so how do we bridge that gap? We've got exploding demand. Everyone's going to the doctors going, I want some cannabis for my, mm. you know, my sciatica or whatever it is. And the doctor said, well, I'm not going to give you that because there's no evidence for it. Now, it may well be in 10 years time, there will be evidence for all kinds of uses for all kinds of medical cannabis products. But because it's not there at the moment, um, the medical regulatory bodies won't uh, allow it or they won't license it for prescription on the NHS. Now, the problem with that is that, that a lot of the cannabis advocates then go get all conspiratorial and think that these med- medical regulatory bodies are kind of being fascistic and, and you know, in league with the pharmaceutical companies or whatever else it is. And in fact, you know, medical regulations exist for very good reasons. They're, prote- they're there to protect patients from mis-selling and false claims and exploitation. Um, but it does raise this question, how do we bridge that gap? You've got millions of people who want to use cannabis-based yeah. medicines, but the, 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 there are these hurdles and, and barriers in terms of medical regulations that is not really allowing it. So how do we bridge that gap? And that's sort of an open question. There's a very important thing you just mentioned, there, actually, that I wanted to say, which is now we've got the glorious old internet. Um, as soon as you sort of tweet or whatever you do about... CBD or cannabis, you get this very, I'm going to be very careful what I say here, but you get this particular group of very earnest and enthusiastic people, um, usually who have a sort of five fingered leaf on their, you know, their, their picture on their Twitter page, who then literally do exactly what you've just said, who then rant on about conspiracies and big pharma bad and on all of this. And I'm not sure they're really helping the situation. What no, do you think? I do, Have you I, encountered well, these? I, yes, this... I, do, I, do, I do encounter them. And I mean, I think one of the problems is with the, the, for, for medical cannabis, a lot, of peop, a lot of people will use medical cannabis and it may, may not work for them and they, they just drift off. And then some people, be, it will be almost like a miracle cure. Um, and those people become very passionate and evangelical and... Uh, you know, they become very noisy in the public debate. Mm. Um, but you've got a kind of selection bias there where you've got this, because with most, as with most medicines, cannabis will help some people a lot, some people a bit, and some people not at all. I mean, that's the way with most medicines, I think, I think you'd agree. Yeah. Um, but it's the people who, who, who it really helps, the miracle cures, and they make better media. You know, it's much better to have a miracle cure on a show than it is to have someone who, you know, I tried it, it worked a bit. It's, right. it's just a bit boring. Right. But a miracle cure, brilliant. That's a, that makes much better TV. So you get this kind of selection bias in the, in the public debate and in the social media debate and all the rest of it. Um, what you need to cut through that 
is proper uh, research, proper trials with on, with big big you know uh, populations of people. Um, and that's where we need to be urgently. We need to be doing loads and loads more Are research. Are they now happening? Yes, I mean around the world, in the UK, a bit, but globally, yes, there is an explosion in cannabis-based medicine research. But it's still, you know, it's we're still years or decades away from where we need to be, which is knowing which products are going to work for which conditions and having really decent, robust evidence for that. We're, we're, there, there's good evidence for some things, like dealing with nausea for chemotherapy and uh, appetite, you know, stimulation and um, a few other things like spastic, muscle spasticity for people with MS and things like that. But for a lot of the other stuff, um, there's compelling uh, anecdotes and case reports and, and, and the beginnings of evidence, but it's not quite there yet. You know, you want that gold standard sort of mm. clinical research. And we, 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 for most conditions, we, we're not quite there yet. And for some conditions, we're, we're miles away. But then you meet someone who's using cannabis for their Crohn's disease, and it, it's incredibly compelling. It's hard to deny that person. They say, look, I, you know, this absolutely essential to me. It's changed my life, turned my life around. I'm able to manage this in a way I wasn't with. And you, it's, you can't deny them that. But that anecdote, however passionate and compelling it is, it's not the same as, you know... A, tr- a clinical trial. A clinical Probably trial not. with a large population of people with randomised, you know, placebo double blind, blah, blah, blah. I find this absolutely fascinating because I've stumbled across a fact the other day that we are the biggest exporter in this. This country is the biggest exporter of medical cannabis. Is that correct? That is correct. I mean, and that's basically because we're the biggest producer and exporter. The reason for that is because the company that makes uh, these two products, Sativex and and Epidiolex, is a UK-based company, GW Pharmaceuticals. And those are the only internationally licensed uh, cannabis-based medicines available. So inevitably, perhaps we are now... It's a slight sort of twisting of the actual fact that that's the only option anyway is it Which yes makes yes i mean uh, the, the, uh, actually if you look at some uh, and, and those that's un data and that's uh government authorized medical production now actually if you go to some of the u.s states mm. um where they have these medical cannabis programs that aren't federally approved but they're approved by state level governments actually probably california has a lot more medical cannabis production than the uk does right. but it, it, it because it's not federally approved it doesn't come into that data just to be pedantic. Are you happy to but, talk about California? Sorry, Alex. No, no, no I just find I find that fact fascinating. It is amazing. Yeah, I mean, Isn't the fact it? that we that, that up until recently we were the biggest medical cannabis producer in the world, but you couldn't get medical cannabis. You can't get medical no. cannabis. It I mean, was it was pretty ridiculous. And can I just ask one question, which you both could possibly answer, because there's a massive gap in my knowledge. So you're saying that you can still. So it might not have had all the trials and everything like that. Now, please excuse me if I've been really dumb and missed something. However, you can pay to get medical. If you were rich enough, you could pay to get some medical yeah, cannabis. If, if, if you had a condition that a doctor deemed it was appropriate to prescribe you, a specialist doctor can do that, yes. But but it's, we're, we're talking relatively small numbers of people. I, I know where you're going with that. A, a, a few hundred people at the moment. No, forget the NHS. No, I mean, in it's, theory, it's but... Going to need a lot the of NHS, trials. On the NHS, I think there's two of... people in the country so far. And I think it might be that it's, it's two of those kids with... Um, I think what... Epilepsy. I know where you're going with that. And I think what's... The answer to that is the fact that so few doctors have actually, although they are allowed to, have prescribed it. And I think that's a, a sort of... Probably a nervous caution about... The evidence isn't really quite there. Yeah, Can I justify big, there's this? There's a big to my training colleagues? gap as well. Most, most doctors yeah. 
don't know that much about medical cannabis products. And I've never been trained on it. It didn't exist to it did, but, you know, not right. when I was but training. Not, so not, I've had to pick on it. Yeah. No, no, no. Yeah. I mean, I'm hoping it's there now, but there's a hell of a lot of other things that also have to be there. I, you know, there's an awful lot in medicine that you have. To, and a lot of it you have to pick up when you're older and you're actually working rather than at medical school, you know. Um, I wanted to ask you, Steve, about California and, mm-hmm. and what we've seen as a result of this sort of explosion of availability of cannabis there. What's it shown? Well, there is this kind of slightly, well, very confusing sort of crossover interface between the medical cannabis uh, debate and supply and production and, and, and availability and the non-medical cannabis debate. Now, in somewhere like California, medical cannabis has been available for ages um, in quite an informal, I would say, ad hoc kind of unstructured way. So you could go into a dispensary in inverted commas um, and talk to a doctor in inverted commas and access a whole range of different cannabis products really quite easy just by saying you know I've got a basically I've got a headache and then you get you get an authorization you can get an authorization kind of over the phone and it was almost like a de facto non-medical supply via medical supply I mean there were there was a legitimate medical supply as well but it was it was kind of there was a blur it was easy to get there was a blurring in the boundaries between what was medical and and, and non-medical mm. um, now they've legalized for uh, non-medical use so you, you could, they're just regular shops a bit like off license where you can just go and buy cannabis or a certain quantity of it to, to an extent it's blurred even more because people can just now self-medicate if they choose to in the same way if you wanted to self-medicate with vodka you you could just go and buy it and and take it um other countries have different approaches there's about 20 countries around the world now have some form of access to uh medical cannabis um and, and they've approached it a lot of countries have approached it in very different ways some of them it's very restrictive where you can only get certain products like satifex and epidiolex on, on prescription um other ones they have a much more open open market um one of the problems is that cannabis because because it's a plant-based product that has all these active ingredients in um it's it doesn't really fit very well into the medical regulatory systems that are much more designed to have single drug you know pharmaceutical products how do you regulate these complex herbal compounds um and Combined with what I was talking about earlier about that, the legacy of there not being this research that, to meet normal clinical guidelines, uh, a lot a lot of countries have come up with this sort of how how can we make this stuff available when it doesn't really fit in the models we have, and often they've just basically come up with a bespoke agency and bespoke legislation to make because it's a unique product with a unique history. They've come up with this kind of unique solution to make it available through some medical way and it may be that that's where we have to go in the UK Mm. as well because it simply doesn't fit very well into the regulatory systems we've got because it's got 140 active compounds in this sort of plant-based herbal product. I mean, I suspect how, we'll, how do we deal with that? Well, we'll screw it up gloriously in this country, won't we? Like we did when we brought in the legal highs bill, you know, and we suddenly realised that, oh, coffee and saffron and goodness knows what were going to fall under this category. And it was just all a bit of a, a gloriously amusing disaster. But I think at the end of the day, the important thing that people need to realise is that we're all actually different and we all have subtle genetic differences that mean we will respond to medications in different ways. It's like you were saying, Steve, some people will respond well, some people, and some people not at all. Until we get our heads around that, until we work out what to prescribe for each individual person, I don't think we're ever going to really move forward and see pinpoint accuracy in our prescribing. Right, the, the hummus isn't going to help. The hummus, <laughs> Gwyneth hummus, is probably How not going to help. Stop mentioning 
mentioning her. We'll be sued. Well, that's it. Um, that is my second opinion. Um, Alex, thank you for Pleasure, taking me off hummus. Um, Steve, thank you for bringing me on to hummus. Um, really, we appreciate it for sharing. You have a vast database of knowledge in there. It's, it's, it's awe-inspiring. Um, so thank you. Don't forget, you can get in touch with us by emailing surgery at thepodcastworks.com or you can message me on Twitter and tell me your thoughts on cannabis. Please give us a five-star rating and share this podcast if you've enjoyed it. Thank you for listening. We'll see you next time. Goodbye. 